Hi, this is Jay Todd Anderson, and you are listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. sound, those pastoral notes from the guitar of Mark Knopfler signal the beginning of this edition of Filmically Perfect on 91.3 WYSO. I'm Nikki Dakota, your host, joined joined in the studio today by the film guys, and uh, they are live and in person today. The inimitable and delightful George Williman, Nitrate Film Archivist for the Library of Congress. George, good day. Hello. <laughs> and J. Todd Anderson, film uh, storyboard artist for the Coen Brothers and then some live in the studio. Mr. J. Todd Anderson, welcome. Knowledge. <laughs> dweem. What's in a dweem? And all this because today we are casting our gaze, our ears, our senses upon one of the finest movies ever made, and it is The Princess Bride. Gentlemen, it's so funny, and I'm so, I mean, I, I didn't have to even wonder if this movie was on your list, because it is the best, not just oh, yeah. you, one of the best. You got lucky Oops. today, kid. It's on <laughs> yeah. the list. We are, uh, we're doing it for Nikki today, because she, you know, she's... Every week she says, come on, you got to do Princess Bride. You do. Come on. Well, it's in line. We'll get to you it. You know we'll you love it. it you know. It is. It's just one of the finest things. And I have to say that I uh, saw it for the first time before I ever had children. And it's even ever so much more so delightful now. Didn't take any cajoling from me, did it, George? Uh, no. 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 We have had several uh, requests uh, from our listeners to do this one. So Before we get started today, as a matter of fact, yeah. let's mention the website, perfectmovie.net. You can also write to us at filmguys at perfectmovie.net. And, uh, J. Todd, we have a little business to take care of on oh, your end, yes, don't we? Oh, yes, we do. We have business to take care little of. little something, little something. Yes, uh, I made a mistake last week on, so rare. Sh- on Shadow of a Doubt. And uh, uh, Mr. Joseph Eisenberg wrote in, uh, and he says, uh, just listen to the podcast version of your show and liked it a lot. And I noticed a few problems. <laughs> First, you were wrong when one of you said, that was I, that I said this mistake. That you said that Patricia Hitchcock was strangled to death in Strangers on a Train. That very stylish honor went to one Laura Elliott, I believe. He's right. I looked it up. Um, Miss Hitchcock was the sister of the star's girlfriend, and she merely reminded the murderer, Robert Walker, of the victim. And okay. she had little round glasses. Wow, you know? what a keen, yeah. uh, keen uh, little And you know, I just started looking around and all, all the girls I ever dated had little round glasses. <laughs> that could right. be a reason there. Is that could right? be why I made this, 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 you know, this <laughs> embarrassing mistake. Because Strangers on a Train is one of my personal favorite. It is my personal favorite of Hitchcock's. He's got a lot of other things in there, but uh, that's the most important thing. That's a mistake. And, and, hey. uh, and, the, and one of the most important things that he said in there... I can't wait to listen to your show again next week. Oh, thank you so much. It's available at uh, iTunes Podcasting, or you yeah, can go to their website. you want to comment on this, George, any at all? Perfectmovie.net, no. <laughs> or stop by the YSO website. It's all right there as well, wyso.org. Yep. It, 
It is nice to know there are people out there keeping us honest. Thank it's you very, very much. very great, and we'd love to yeah, hear from I you. I really appreciate all the other comments. It's just that we've only got 30 minutes today, and we'd love to address all that stuff because it's right. really good, Mr. Eisenberg, and I really appreciate it. Please send your emails our way. It's filmguys at perfectmovie.net. And back to the film yes, of we're, the we're, day, we're back Princess to Bride. Fencing, fencing, torture, revenge, giants, monsters, chases, escapes, um, true love, miracles, romance, um, and... You know, the pursuit of happiness or true love. Oh, it's just so lovely through and through. And as we consider this movie, let's review. There are very stringent and etched in, yes. well, stone rules that, uh, that, uh, that govern the actual inclusion on this list. This is not just willy-nilly. It is indeed quite strict. And those rules, gentlemen, are... Well, George and I consider this a perfect movie because this movie creates the world it exists in. And then it wholly sustains that world. And regardless of changes in society, it retains its meaning and entertainment value. And unlike uh, many lists of films, this film will never be put in any sort of numerical order. It stands on its own two feet. No hierarchy whatsoever, except that I, ha I now I feel a little bit bad, except that it's true. I, I could watch As this movie. As you wish. It's a perfect movie. <laughs> I could watch this movie starting now, never stop, and never get tired of it. It's so rich, so well done. And and even though there is no hierarchy, it is uh, the best movie ever made. That's just me. <laughs> So as we um, I, I, as we soak up this movie, let's just talk about even just even just the way this movie opens just tells you right away that there's uh, there's more to this than just your average fairy tale. What was it? At what point in the movie did you gentlemen recognize that this is above and beyond? Well, you know, this movie it just it just keeps going. It sustains itself. Um, it's it's done. I'm going to talk a little bit after George does the rundown on this. It's done by one of the greatest writers in the movie business, William Goldman. Yeah, and I, I think, uh, I mean, it's perfection came to me, at least after seeing it, you know, the first time I was like, oh, this is wonderful, you know, because it's just so many different things, and it, uh, it has everything from, you know, sort of memories that people might have of their grandfathers, mm. you know, visiting when they're sick, and having stories read to you as a child, and and that kind of thing, and just, yeah, the whole growing up with, with Mother Goose and Grimm's fairy tales and stuff like that, and here's all those little elements that you remember. Plus, adding into that in sort of a modern a modern way, some of the uh, sort of nods to classic adventure movies of the past, like Robin Hood and the Seahawk and things like and that. And Zorro. Absolutely, and uh, I just what I appreciated about it uh, the most is that sort of layer upon layer of the storytelling tradition. These these archon, icons and archetypes that that have peppered, you know, the Brothers Grimm and all those, which apparently I, I discovered were all those fairy tales were primarily written by French women, and the tradition moved out from there. But that's a whole other story. We can't help you with that on this show, <laughs> yeah. except that but this tradition know, this, I will say continues. That, that the narrative on this movie is very unique because it's controlled. So Something by uh, Peter Falk telling this story to his kid. So they, they have incredible control over what they're showing you. They can back up. They can do anything they want because he's he jumps out of uh, where he's at when he's talking in the story. I mean, he excuse me, jumps out of the narrative of the story and back into the bedroom. So they can just 
pretty much control the tone and the pacing of this whole movie just by the narrative. Because of the again, mechanism of, of it all being hinging on, on the grandfather reading to his grandson. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's really a nice way of doing things because they can cheat as much as they want. They've already set the rules, which, you know, fits into our rule number one, of course. Um, and that's all in really good champion writing in movies when you see stuff like this. We're talking about Princess Bride on Filmically Perfect on 91.3 WYSO. And if you would, George Williman, give us a little, you know, the, the opening. And it's a, it's just a mundane little kid's right. room. Yeah, the, the film is very neatly uh, wrapped around this storyline of a little boy played by Fred Savage who is sick in bed. It's one of his first things, isn't it? I believe the Wonder Years. Yeah, right. same kid. I think this is even before the Wonder Years. And, and basically his mom comes in, see how he's doing, tells him his grandfather is here. So his grandfather comes in, his garrulous old man played by, by the garrulous Peter Falk. Mm-hmm. And, um, and he tells him he's got something for him. And it's a book. It's a book called The Princess Bride. And he's going to read it to him, and he tells him that you know he read it, you know he read it to his dad, and that his dad read it to him, and it's just this family tradition. So the little boy's kind of like, oh, okay, fine. Yeah, so, so turn off the video game, right? And then the grandfather says, "In my day, now that video television game, was called books, right? That video game does date this movie a little yeah. bit, but it won't get in, in in the way of a perfect movie, yeah. believe me." The, uh, so the grandfather starts telling the story, and the story basically is kind of a medieval tale. Actually, the time is kind of undefined because, you know, one of the characters at one point talks about Australia, and, uh, you know, there's some other sort of modern things. So they keep it kind of loose. But again, it's a story being told by the grandfather. So you don't know which parts are actually from the book and which parts he's making up. Um, but the story mainly is about a young girl named Buttercup. Played by Robin Wright, Robin or now known as Robin Wright Penn, Sean Penn's and, wife, um, and this young boy named Wesley, played by Carrie Elwes, and basically uh, Wesley goes off to to make his fortune so that he can be worthy of Buttercup, and as he's out seeking his fortune, he gets captured by the dread pirate Roberts, who never t- takes prisoners, so of course Buttercup believes that he has been killed. In the meantime, the the prince of the ruling family of Florin, Prince Humperdinck, who's played by Chris Sarandon, looks <laughs> uh, mysteriously like that prince in Shrek. Yeah, ah. chooses chooses Buttercup to be his bride, which is a sort of a perk of being prince because she's the most beautiful girl in the, the land. Most beautiful girl in the land. Well, suddenly she is kidnapped by these three ne'er do wells, uh, played by Wallace Shawn and Mandy Patinkin and Andre the Giant. And it turns out that there's a plot afoot to basically take uh, Buttercup to the country of Gilder, the enemy of Florin, and basically uh, murder her and leave her there and, and accuse Gilder of this crime leave to Leave evidence, war. yes. Yeah. We, they needed a war. Well, then the bad guys find themselves being followed by this mysterious boat, which they cannot shake off. And it turns out to be none other than the dread pirate Robert, who vanquishes the bad guys and rescues Buttercup. And when she sort of belts him because he's mocking her, her loss of Wesley, it turns out that it is Wesley. Wesley has taken the place of the Dread Pirate Roberts who wanted to retire. Which is a completely interesting yeah. story. And it's so, it's so <laughs> the beauty of it is here's these, these, uh, these icons that we have come to know and love, but there's this lovely layer of humor mm-hmm. throughout this. Just, just M- delightful. Most movies will have run out of gas by the time they reveal this fact, but not this movie, no. It's kind and of where I like it to starts. say... It gets better, yeah. and it just picks up another set of uh, just more steam. It just keeps moving on down the line. So the two of them uh, try to get through the fire swamp, this this 
pit of this this dangerous area with flames <laughs> roaring neutras. up and uh, and uh, you know, sands that swallow them up and these uh, uh, rodents of an, of unusual size the R-O-U-S-S. that wrestle R-O-U-S-S. like big time wrestlers. <laughs> well, Andre the Giant is this in neutra it. rat wrestles just like a wrestler. Man. So they do get out of the they do get out of the uh, the fire swamp only to be caught up by Prince Humperdinck and his party who have been out looking ostensibly for uh, for Buttercup. And uh, so Wesley is is kidnapped and is thrown into the pit of despair. The pit of despair, which has one of my favorites. Where am I? You're in this pit of despair. Yeah. Which is, which of course, manned by an albino, played by <laughs> who starts acting like a hunchback, and then he clears his throat and he has a very nice dialect. <laughs> yeah. He just had a very little frog. But as as the story progresses and things get even more complicated, it turns out, of course, that Humperdinck really is is totally rotten, and he was the one that hired the bad guys to kidnap buttercup because he's trying to start this war with with gilder to make himself more popular with the people since he's expecting his father to die at any moment the old king um but he finds out that she really loves wesley and it just it's just too much for him and he he runs down to the pit where where wesley is attached to this huge machine that that sucks life out of you and he cranks it up to 50 years and basically kills wesley um at this point the two, two of the three uh, ne'er-do-wells, Mandy Patinkin and Andre the Giant, have been looking for the man in black because he vanquished both of them, and now they have great respect for him. And they eventually find him in this pit, and they realize that he's dead. But they, they decide to go to a miracle man, Miracle Max, played by Billy Crystal. Who looks the way he does now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he aged into this character. No, this he has makeup on the show, but he looks like he does now. So, no, it was made in 87, so 20 years later, 20 years he finally later, looks yeah. like he was made up to look in The Princess Bride. <laughs> so Miracle Max discovers that he's only mostly dead right. and makes a, a chocolate-coated pill that will bring him back, but he can't go in swimming for an hour. So uh, <laughs> so they decide, you know, the Buttercup is now being forced into marriage with, with Humperdinck. The the three the three heroes now go to the castle. They revive Wesley, but he's incredibly weak. And he asks what happened to him, why he can't move, and he says, "Well, you've been mostly dead all day." You know, but they they come up with this incredible plan, and they get in. And of course, they save the princess. And they Should I do any sort of uh, any sort of spo- spoiler alert here? You can play the spoiler know, alert, but if anybody doesn't know the ending, uh, we all know. Uh, you know, you didn't. You were sealed up in a room if you did. This yeah. is the classic ending of all time. But basically, yeah. you know, true love wins out. Yeah. And they finish the, you know, then Grandpa finishes the book and everything's okie dokie. And, and it just ends. Great, yeah. man. It's beautiful. And it's and it's beautiful because, it, like, the story, it's a story within a story. And each of these sort of touching off these, these this iconography that, that is ingrained in us when we're tiny children listening to the fairy tales. I've started reading the fairy tales to my own children, even though they're grand. People are boiled in oil. They're eaten alive. Right. There's, you know, the witches capture little children and starve them. And stop it, Nikki! Stop it! Stop it! <laughs> but I've I've been reading these to the kids because it generally ends out well. Uh, the people who are are pure of heart are generally rewarded. rewarded yes. And so and there's antibiotics for people who are boiled now. <laughs> yeah. So they touch on all of these, and I haven't actually watched this with my kids yet. But I think I'm really going to make it a special day when we sit down. It is just delightful at every turn and it, it it very nearly didn't get made apparently it was some 15 years from original presentation yeah, to I, fruition from what i understand goldman wrote this in 73 as a book as a book and uh, and and then also the screenplay he wrote shortly thereafter but he was so protective of this because he loved this thing so much he wanted to make sure it was done right 
that, uh, I mean, Rob Reiner didn't start directing until the mid-late 80s, and Reiner was the one that I guess he personally chose to direct this. And for those of you who don't know who Rob Reiner is, because it has been a while since All in the Family has been on, he was the meathead. He was meathead. And he is also the son of one of the greatest comedy writers of all time, Carl Reiner, who wrote The Dick Van Dyke Show and... Uh, your Show just, of Shows. Your, yeah, just a classic, classic... Uh, you know, family of, of comedy. And now he, and he went on, he was on a roll, right? At about mm -hmm. this time he did, uh, Spinal Misery tap. and, uh, that guy. Well, Misery he did later, but, uh, but still that he did, role well, he did, went on. The, yeah, sure thing. the Sure Thing and Stand, Stand By Me, I believe. Yeah, Stand By Me came out while he was shooting this. Oh. And wow. also, of course, uh, this is Spinal Tap. Yeah, he was just on an amazing role as a director. He just transitioned right out of television, uh, into movies. Um, you know, the, one of the things that I really, really like about this show, uh, this movie, and what I really appreciate is is the writer is William Goldman. And people don't realize what uh, what this guy has done. And the best thing to reference, you know, the William Goldman primer is, of course, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. And you're going to see one of the famous chase scenes in this movie where, who are those guys? Remember that? In uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid? It's been movie. a while, but yeah. But that's it's very similar in this movie. And, and his... The way he writes is so balanced. And this is one of these scripts where the actors, they're all great. Mandy Potemkin and Wallace Shawn, they're all just fantastic actors. But when you have a script like this, these actors are at their best. And that's one of the reasons this movie is such a clicker. You can't it, – it just has magnificent snappy energy all the way through. You cannot watch this movie without just saying, well, what did he just do? Yeah. Or at little things like uh, when um, – at the end, when the prince, he tells him to sit down. Oh, will, yeah, he's going to trots over and sits down. Little teeny things like that. And uh, you see oh, one of the great, one of the big wrestlers of all time. I don't mean big in stature. He was a really great wrestler. But when you watch this screen, I don't think Andre Giant was an accident. They, they carefully selected him. And you'll think that nowadays they take uh, digital effects to make people look really big. Uh, not in this movie. Andre the Giant was seven foot. Seven foot five. He's huge. Yeah, he's oh, was he really? Yeah. Seven foot five. Big, big Yeah, and not just tall, but stocky, very stout, very uh And he plays, large. they wrote this part as if it was made for Andre, because he's he just fits right into this movie. Every All the little elements in this movie are just perfectly balanced elements, and it's, I think, not to give too much credit in one direction, I think it starts with, a, as they always say in Los Angeles, you got to have a great script, you know? You can have a bad script and you'll have a hard time making a good movie out of it. But if you have a great script, you'll have a good chance of making a good movie from it. So Goldman wrote the book and then was also the one responsible for turning it into the screenplay. And, so. I, and I think in the case of this book, it was the best way to do it because the, the, the interesting thing about the book, I have not actually read the book. My wife has read it. But I'm going from to. What, from Let's what I understand, in the book, the, the, the idea of the beginning of the book is Goldman is, is telling his audience you know, that as a kid, his grandfather read him this great Princess Bride book. And then he found a copy of it at like a book stall or something like that and bought it, took it home, was so excited to read this again after so many years, started reading it and realized it was really boring. It was just went on and on and on. And then he realized what had happened was his grandfather would skip the boring parts and only read the good parts of the story. Oh, so that's, that's kind lovely. of what the, the story goes by. Oh, that is yeah, lovely. At one point, uh, the kid challenges his grandfather about the death <laughs> of this yeah. the, the star in, in this book. And uh, the kid was disinterested. Now he's challenging his grandfather, who's played just really great by Peter Falk, mm -hmm. you know. 
uh, who does yeah, first, he always a little bit of clumbo and everything he does. Yeah. But still, you can smell the tobacco on that guy when he sits down <laughs> on the bed, you know? Tobacco <laughs> on old Harper. We're talking about The Princess Bride on Filmically Perfect on 91.3 WYSO. Um, let's think about the rules, which it absolutely fulfills. Rule number one, creating the world. Certainly, I mean... That's an easy no-brainer Easy no-brainer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sustains it throughout. Not just sustains, but keeps you Holy eager and hungry. It. This picture does it. And then finally, the which completely fulfills this rule as well, that uh, despite cultural changes, sustains its entertainment value. How many catchphrases have come from this movie? Gee, lots of them. In fact, we have a little selection of them. So. Mr. Williman here has compiled a selection for us. That's this is, right. This is hard work, and the board, yes. we sneak this <laughs> under the board because it's always easier to apologize than it is to ask for permission. <laughs> right. But here. So is here's a, little... a little selection of, of your some of your favorite lines from The Princess Bride. As you wish. Wonder if he's using the same wind we are using. Whoever he is, he's too late. See? The cliffs of insanity! Inconceivable! You keep using the word. I don't think it means what you think it means. Ha ha, you fool! You fell victim to one of the classic blunders. The most famous is never get involved in a land war in Asia, but only slightly less well-known is this. Never go in against a Sicilian when death is on the line. <laughs> Wesley, what about the RUSs? Rodents of unusual size? I don't think they exist. Where am I? The pit of despair. Don't even think don't even think about trying to escape. See? Didn't I tell you she'd never marry that rotten humperdink? Yes, you're very smart. Shut up. Tyrone, you know how much I love watching you work, but I've got my country's 500th anniversary to plan, my wedding to arrange, my wife to murder, and Gilda to frame for it. I'm swamped. Get some rest. If you haven't got your health, you haven't got anything. Physic, Juggy's memory. I'm sorry, Nigo. I didn't mean to jar him so hard. Beat it, or I'll call the Brute Squad. I'm on the Brute Squad. You are the Brute Squad. Well, it just so happens that your friend here is only mostly dead. There's a big difference between mostly dead and all dead. Bye-bye, boys! Have fun storming the castle! Think it'll work? It would take a miracle. Bye-bye! Why won't my arms move? You've been mostly dead all day. Who are you? Are we enemies? Why am I on this wall? Where's Buttercup? Let me explain. No, there is too much. Let me sum up. Buttercup is Mary Humper Duncan a little less than half an hour. So all we have to do is get in, break up the wedding, steal the princess, make our escape. After I kill Count Rugen. That doesn't leave much time for Dilly Danny. You just wiggle all your finger. That's wonderful. I've always been a quick eater. Marriage. Marriage is what brings us together. Today, marriage, that blessed arrangement, that dream within a dream. What was that for? Because you've always been so kind to me, and I won't be seeing you again, since I'm killing myself once we reach the honeymoon suite. Wouldn't that be nice, hmm? She kissed me! <laughs> There's a shortage of perfect breasts in this world. It would be a pity to damage yours. Ah! 
Hello! My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Stop saying that! Hello! My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die! No! Grandpa, maybe you could come over and read it again to me tomorrow. As you wish. Hey, did I mention this was the perfect movie? Oh. <laughs> Oh, it's so good. That's a great movie, man. I'll tell you, that was that was fantastic. And certainly on rule number three, um, Stan, just to- it, it beyond sustain. It gets so better. Yeah. Not only is it interesting, it just, uh, it just gets you know, better. It, it really, it really uh, sustains the whole fairy tale aspect. You know, you, fairy tales are supposed to last forever. Well, I think this movie, as long as they got a way to watch this thing, it's gonna be around a long time to show people. The only thing, like I said, that dates it is like occasionally the the video games. But outside of that, there isn't really much that really is gonna slow this movie down in time. We're talking about Princess Bride on Filmically Perfect here on ninety one three WYS. So, and I guess it was so unique and and uh, different at its release that they were unsure how to market it. And I, I think seem to remember reading that uh, that um, suddenly I'm drawing Meathead's real name blank. Rob Reiner, Rob Reiner. Rob Reiner um, was so angry that that there were they weren't coming up with a, a, a surefire way to market it. He said at the time, "I don't want this to be another Wizard of Oz," mm-hmm. meaning that it, I guess the Wizard of Oz I forgot was a complete flop at the time. It yeah, was, it did not do well when it originally came out. Nor did this movie, but it was, I guess, at, at, when it was released on DVD that this sort of broad, almost universal uh, affection for this movie began. Well, you, when you watch Mandy Potemkin work, I don't think he's ever done anything better than this movie. <sighs> he's so sharp and on his toes, because he really is a magnificent performer when you see him, uh, when he does other things besides the television shows that he does now. And then Carrie Elwes, I don't know what's quite happened to him, but this is some of his best work. He was then, in Robin Hood, which I thought was sort of like right. a got genre typecast yeah. or something about that. And then Robin Wright Penn, of course, this is her first, uh, first big deal. movie. Yeah. She had been a, a, a soap opera star, and she's beautiful in this. She's just one of the most naturally beautiful she falls down a hill really ladies. good. Yeah. One of the interesting things about Mandy Patinkin is when he does live performances now, and he's appeared at, actually in Springfield, uh, and my wife has met him from working at the at the center there. Oh, cool! Uh, he does his concert, but the last thing he does in his concert, I guess this is a standard thing. Before he leaves the stage, he does, "My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father for fair to die," and everybody goes wild. So th- that part actually still obviously means quite a bit to him Aww. as an actor. I, the, my only disappointment in this picture is Wallace Shawn kills himself off really early. He's a very small. Drinks, you know, of course, the, our hero is immune to poison. He's been drinking it for years. So right. Wallace Shawn drinks the poison. That whole scene is really great. It and, really is. But he's so good in this movie. And the beautiful thing about, by the way, the, our, our, our uh, antagonist in this, the three of them who, who endeavor to kidnap her, and the, they're kind of like a splitting of the three classic antagonists. There's the, you know, the, the quick-witted one, mm-hmm. the strong of strength, Strength, and then um, uh, oh, the, the, the swashbuckler with yeah. also that that uh, revenge, the vengeance, the vengeance aspect of, yeah. of you know someone who is wrong. So how lovely that the writer uh, Goldman split these three, and then so uh, uh, Wesley was able to deal with them individually and, and and fulfill so many of these themes, common common themes in well, fairy tales. And one of the things I, I really want to get in here and mention is is the look of the film and the way that the the world of Princess Bride is portrayed because there was such a conscious effort between, I'm sure between Rob Reiner and his production designer and his cinematographer to give the whole thing this really kind of artificial look. There are certain, even though there's a couple, there's several scenes that are shot sort of on location, they even used an actual castle, 
There are a lot of the scenes that are set pieces that are very set bound and it's very deliberate. I'm thinking of the big fencing scene on top of the 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 cliffs of insanity. Oh, where it's yeah. very, very deliberately a set. And it kind of works into this whole fairy story and, you know, the story being portrayed in the in the child's mind and the grandfather's mind. And all the skies are, are, are too beautiful oh, and yeah. the sunsets are, are overly overly nice. You know, when they ride off into the, the at the end when they ride off it's just blue skies and beautiful hills and everything. So that really adds to just the wonderful fairy tale quality of the film. Yeah, and the rat looks like a guy in a suit that's ready to wrestle. Yeah, that's it. yeah also, yeah. The ROUSs are, are almost deliberately not particularly good to add again to this sort of storytelling idea. Hey, you know, Gentlemen, we're almost out of time. Just, uh, just We're going to have to go to an hour one of these days. Go to perfectmovie.net. Check us out, folks. That's um, right. Send us an email. Our thanks to uh, Joe, Joseph Eisenberg. Um, we're going to send you something there, Joe. Get us your address. Send us your address. This one just flew by. We do it every Friday, or you can check us out online. We're on iTunes. We're at perfectmovie.net. We're at wyso.org. And give us a call, 769-1998. Gentlemen, thank you so much. Always a pleasure. My pleasure, Nicky Dakota. Thank you for listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. Please keep an ear out for new episodes of Filmically Perfect. Coming very soon to iTunes and hosted on our website, www.perfectmovie.net. See you, please.